going to be in Matthew chapter 11 this morning. Matthew chapter 11. This year, uh, for the Christmas season, all of these key words we're using each week, they all tie, tie in together. Each of them, though, come and come kind of from a story from the Gospels that may not seem on the surface all that, quote-unquote, Christmassy, right? We kind of get our, our standard things that we do certain times of the year. You know, you, you, you have dressing and giblet gravy at Thanksgiving, and you talk about certain things, and we talk about how grateful we are for what God is doing in our life, in our families, in our homes. Uh, but those things, you know, we kind of have our rituals and things that we think about. And Mother's Day, you know, there are certain things that you might think about, certain things you might do. There might be scriptures that come to mind. Proverbs 31 comes to mind, thinking about Mother's Day. Christmas, the same kind of thing. Charlie Brown, Linus, stands up there on the stage and reads from Luke 2, right? If you, like me, grew up in a good Church of Christ household, that's the only time you ever had anybody read Luke 2 at Christmas time, right? In the old days, back in the... in the old days, in the 70s, they don't seem that old. The stories we're looking at this, this season are not necessarily what we think of in those terms. Linus never read about John the Baptist. We looked last week at John the Baptist. And what kind of people go out to listen to a man who is dressed in camel's hair, eats locusts for lunch, and is, is calling all of the, the religious leaders, you know, vipers and snakes and all of this kind of stuff. You know, what kind, kind of people go out to him? Well, the kind of people who went out to him were the people who actually listened to what he said and saw the core of how he lived because of what he was teaching. They were people that knew that God was up to something, that there was a kingdom coming and a Messiah that would soon come, and they wanted to be ready when that Messiah came. Well, we're going to pick up here in Matthew chapter 11, and this is the other side of of that coming of Christ. And Jesus, at this point, has already been in His ministry for a little while. And John the Baptist, who was the first to publicly testify that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, that He would be the the Son of God in the flesh, Messiah, that John the Baptist is now imprisoned. And because he's imprisoned, he's got some questions. And we find in Matthew chapter 11 what his questions were. Let's read this together. After Jesus had finished instructing His twelve disciples, He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Verse 2, When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask Him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is pre- and good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? He's asking them the same question we asked last week. What did you go out there for? What kind of people were you that you went out there to see John and listen to John? A man dressed in fine clothes? (coughs) Pardon me. A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. 
I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Okay, let's kind of go back and look at this. When you, you've got John, who is in a prison cell, we would learn, if we were jumping ahead in chapter 14, that he is imprisoned at Herod's uh, fortress palace that's up on a, a big hill. Kind of looks kind of like, if you look at pictures of this area where it was, it looks like some of the mesas around Big Spring and Sterling City. That kind of terrain. And up on top of one of these, we would say a mesa, is, is Herod has this fortress. And he is there... And John the Baptist knows that his time is nearly over. He knows that his life is, is really short. And he's got some questions like any person does. I was going to say any good person, but any good person, bad person, everybody stops to ask at some point, is the life I've lived really the life I wanted to live? His question wasn't selfish. It wasn't, did I do things that fulfilled me? Did I, you know, I never did get to go and, and, and paint that coffee cup with the Grand Canyon. It was none of that kind of stuff. For John the Baptist, he knew what his mission was. It had been known since before he was born. We looked a couple of weeks ago where his father, Zechariah, received a message from an angel that John the Baptist would bear testimony to who Jesus really would be, the coming Messiah. And he does it at his baptism. He does it in all of his teaching before that, during that, after that, and even here, he's wanting to make sure. And we would, might look at that and we would say, why would the John the Baptist have any questions whatsoever? A man with this incredible faith, whose faith was so strong and so vibrant that he actually drew people, it says, from all over, the towns around and the farms around and the countryside around, that they would come out and listen to what he had to say and many of them would actually give their lives back to God. They were baptized and their sins were given in a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins because they were so convicted by his teaching. How does that man sit in a cell and have any doubt? We might compare it to Acts chapter 16 where you have Paul and Silas who were arrested because of their faith and teaching, like John. And we might look at that and say, well, you know, they didn't do that. They didn't cave and they didn't ask questions. They sang and they prayed and then they even baptized the guard by the time they were done. Why wasn't John the Baptist like that? We might th ask that question. We might th think that's a, a fair question. But I'm going to ask you another question. Is anyone ever so strong that they don't ever stop and ask questions. God, is this really what you intended? Is this really your will for me? Is this all the time I've got left? And did I do the right things? Is Jesus really Jesus? Is He really the Son of God? Is He really God? Everybody at some point asked those questions. Maybe Paul and Silas didn't ask it there in the jail cell. Everybody at some point is brought to a moment or moments in their life, maybe even seasons in their life, where they're asking those questions. John the Baptist has questions. Maybe they were doubts, maybe they weren't. I'm kind of on the fence on this. Some people go ahead and label it as doubt. I don't know that it requires doubt to ask and make sure that you've been up to the right thing. God, did I get this right? Was he really the one that you wanted me to testify to? 
Or was there another? That was his question. Are you really the one, or should we have been waiting for another? Maybe that's doubt. Possibly. Maybe it's John realizing he's about to be killed and and asking, did I do everything God wanted me to do? Maybe it's not doubt in Jesus. Maybe it's doubt in himself. Did I really accomplish what God went to all this trouble? A miraculous birth, testified to by the angels. He would protected John up to this point because I guarantee you there were people who wanted him dead long before this particular event in Matthew 14. Did I really get it all done? Those questions can come from several different angles and because John doesn't bother to tell us and Matthew doesn't bother to tell us, we don't really know what the true source of those questions were. That's all right. It doesn't really matter because in the, the bottom line is he's at the end of his, his life and he knows it. And he just wants to make sure that his life was based on what was right and true and real. If we haven't asked those questions, it's time. None of us knows when that moment may come. He knew because he was in a jail cell and they were already sharpening the sword. Okay? He got the idea. We don't always know. And we all should ask those questions. What impresses me is, is Jesus' response, which we'll get to here in a moment. For all of us, there are things that will bring these things uh, to a head for us. It can be with John, just knowing that we're nearing the end of our life. Something happens that we know it's coming, and we just want to know that our life meant what it was supposed to mean, accomplished what it could have accomplished, and has value that lasts beyond our last breath in this world, right? Everybody wants to leave, uh, Stephen Covey says, a legacy. They want to leave a legacy of having loved and having been loved and having a, a quality of life that was deeper and rooted more deeply in things that last as a legacy beyond them. They want that to be in their kids. They want that to be in their work. They want that to be in how people remember them. And they and, and the truest and most altruistic form, they want there to be something, a legacy that lasts, that even if they don't remember me and they don't remember my name, the ripple effect on the pond is still there. They may not know who did it, but they know it was done and it was good and it was right. John wants to know this. We, in our life, need to know this. Those circumstances can always not be... They can... They can wow. Tongue-tied there. They can sometimes be startling. It can be a diagnosis. It can be a wreck. It can be things that don't affect you personally, but that what affects other people around you. Uh, I will tell you, every time that somebody that's anywhere near my age... And, you know, I may someday joke about being old. I realize I'm nowhere near whatever old is, okay? But whenever someone dies who is as young as me or younger, I will tell you, that, ha- that, that that's not just some announcement that I read that we need to pray for people. That shakes me a bit. I'm sure a lot of you can relate because it kind of hits home, not in a selfish way of, of, oh, wow, that could have been me. It's not that. It's just the realization that not only is life uncertain and not only is it short and not only can these things happen, but they do happen. And so often we don't see those things coming. 
It can be uh, changes in your life. It can be a lost job. It doesn't have to be death. Uh, I have a friend who, who didn't lose his job, but he left his job. He doesn't like to be in a situation of insecurity. Okay? He likes things to be kind of ordered and secure and set. And he left the work that he has done for the last 20 years probably. And for some of us, that would be so, just even doing that voluntarily sends you into one of these things. And there could be moments where you start asking, did I do the right thing? You know, God, I, I felt like you were calling me out of this into something else, but I don't know what the something else is yet. You know, those in-between times can cause you to ask these questions. Other things, holidays. We're coming up on Christmas. We've already had Thanksgiving. And for a lot of people, these are really rough, difficult times. It causes them to question things. And it may not question, cause them to question the purpose of their life or what they accomplished. It may just cause them to question, God, are you really there? Do you really work? Are your promises really true? Does any of this really matter? Because if it does, why did that happen? Why are they not here? with me where I wanted them to be for a whole lot longer. We ask those questions. Rightly so. It's not bad to ask those questions. Jesus was nowhere here frustrated with John the Baptist's question. Instead, look at what Jesus does. Let's go back to it. I like this. Let me, let me flip over here. Look over in Luke 7. Let's read his account. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. Luke gives us the detail, same details, but in a way that gives us a little bit more insight into how this went down. And I just think it's pretty cool. Luke 7, verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? So that's his question. Are you really the Messiah? Now, there's also there's another angle to, or should we expect someone else? If they're supposed to be expecting someone else, maybe John's going, you know, if I was wrong, he's not really the Messiah. Maybe I'm getting out of this place because I've still got work to do. There could have been, you know, a little bit of that, that going on, right? Possibly. Anyway, they go, they ask. Verse 20, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cured, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Did you catch the difference? The difference is huge. The words that are quoted of Jesus are the same. He says to him, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. And he says, you know, the blind, blah, 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 right? Not sure you're supposed to blah, 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 Jesus, but, you know, grace. This is what he said. That's the same. But did you notice what Luke added? Look back at verse 21. This is my favorite part of the whole story, the whole event. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and who were blind. So he replied to the messengers. They come and ask a question. To read Matthew's account, it sounds like they ask the question, and Jesus says, well, just go tell him this is what I've been doing. Go tell him. You see some healed people here. Go tell him what I've been doing. 
Okay, that's just a report. That's just an answer. It's just verbal, right? That's not what Jesus did. There's another layer Luke adds. They ask the question. Jesus, before He speaks, turns around and says to the blind man, See, to the deaf, hear, to the lame, walk, to the leper, be healed. And they saw, they walked, they heard, they spoke, and they, their leprosy was gone. And then he goes back to the disciples of John and says, now go tell them what you just saw and heard. That's totally different, isn't it? That's just cool when you actually start to see Jesus right there in front of their eyes say, oh, okay, well then let's do this. boom 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 You want to go tell him that? It's like the guy in that video on YouTube, run and tell that. You know that guy? And so that's what they did. That is entirely different because now they don't just go back saying, well, John, he said, he said, tell him that he's been healing people and he's been this and he's been that. That's not the way they go back. Don't you think they ran? They go back to John and they say, John, you're not going to believe what we saw and heard. Right there in front of our eyes. John, there is no doubt this dude is the dude. We saw people Get up that we know, like they were from my old neighborhood. I know that guy can't walk. He walks now. And John was able to go to his death with confidence, with hope, and with promise because of what they saw. With our own eyes, with our own eyes, we can see the working of God in the same way. And we may not see Jesus standing right in front of us. Wouldn't that be nice? Someday it'll happen. At the moment, we don't get to see that. And we may not see what his disciples saw. Neither did a lot of people in the first century. You had to be in the right place at the right time. Aren't you glad salvation isn't about the right place at the right time? It's just about the right Savior. We get to open our Gospels here. And every time we want to, do we even understand how blessed we are? I can open this book and I can see Jesus. And I can tell you what we've seen and heard that He has done. And I can know that this is not just some fairy tale, that what I get to read here is history. Anywhere I am, I can be waiting for an oil change. And I can pull out my phone. I would have to stick my little thumbprint on there because you know how these things are, right? And right there I have an app. And right there I get to see and hear what Jesus has done. Is that not an incredible time we live in? There's people who have died for the opportunity to be able to see what's on my phone. And while the phone, I don't want to talk about what that costs, the app was free. And I can get that anywhere. I can download it. I don't even need a connection. It's fantastic. I can take that book anywhere. And as you can tell from this one, it's been just about everywhere. Okay? This one's pretty worn. It's been all over the world. And everywhere you get to go. You have those days when you say, you know, I don't know, God. It's getting rough out here. Maybe we ought to do what John did. Go back and see Jesus. Jesus, are you the one? Well, let's go back and look. What did He say? What did He do? How did He live? Get back into those red letters and see the Savior who came for you. And I love that what Jesus did was prove for him 
He could have easily said, John, you know better. You go back and you tell John to suck it up. Isn't that what people sometimes tell people who have questions and doubts? It's not what he said. He showed them, yes, I am. You go tell him, yes, I am. You go let him know that everything he did was worth it. And then he said more. And while you're at it, you let him know that I said, there isn't anybody that's walked this planet that's any better than John. Boy, wouldn't you like to have that said about you at the end of your life? By Jesus? Not just by your, your family and your friends as they gather to celebrate your life? Wouldn't you like that about Jesus to say, man, nobody walked the earth is any better than that one right there? John had that said. By Jesus. Which ought to give us some encouragement. Because John was kind of wacky, wasn't he? This is kind of an odd guy. So all of us odd people in the room, we got a little bit of hope, don't we? Apparently, you can be odd for God, and he's good with that. That's okay. That's what John did. Jesus invites us all to see in what he does, in what he says, and how he lived, what we see here in the Gospels about Christ, the good news about Jesus. And we serve a God who doesn't change when all of those different circumstances that shake our faith and cause doubt and raise questions come. Because He wants John the Baptist to know, I don't care how thick the bars are on that jail cell, God is with you. I am His Son, and it was all worth it. A cell doesn't change that. Cells, like cancer, don't change that. People's lives don't change that. Gossip doesn't change it. Lost jobs don't change it. Politics doesn't change it. None of it changes it. Jesus is Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And no matter where you are or what you're going through, He is actually ready to show you that. All you have to do is see. We started this series with our watching for the Lord to come again. Then we went on to the idea of turning back to God. All of these people we've seen were watching for Jesus. Whether it is watching for His second coming or John the Baptist last week, watching for His first. Watching for the revealing of Him as the Messiah. And people turned to God because of what they heard, because of their faith. Now we're here. Jesus wants us to see. A lot of things can crowd out what we see. We can look at circumstances. We can look at hardship. We can look at losses. We can look at uncertainties. Different bumps in the road. And we can let that become our vision. That's all we see. And that will make us ask, I don't know, is there really God? If there are things that are hard and difficult and painful, is there really God? The answer to that from Jesus was yes. And He will meet you in your hurt. He will meet you in your blindness. He will meet you in your deafness. He will meet you in your sickness. He will meet you in your loss. And He will be there. Lord. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, this passage. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Maybe that's what was going through John. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. 
For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Very eloquent, fancy way of saying life gets hard and we really long for that hardness to be over. And since we know the only place it will finally and truly be done is when we enter into eternal life with our God, we long for that, don't we? We yearn for it. We want it. He reminds us it's ours. Look at 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He says the Holy Spirit that was given to you, the Spirit that Peter said on Pentecost would live within you as God's gift, when you were baptized into Christ, that Holy Spirit is a stamp of guarantee. He has made His deposit. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm cheap sometimes. When I have to pay a 10-cent deposit or a 5-cent deposit on a bottle, you know where that bottle goes? It goes back. I want my nickel, right? And you got several of them, you go back and you get your nickel. We don't do that in Texas, but we did in New York. And let me tell you, you go back and you get your nickel. God has put something far more valuable within you if you are in Christ Jesus. He has put His very Spirit as a deposit. And He intends to claim it. We watch for His return because that's when it happens. And we will see it. Therefore, verse 6, what's all that mean? Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord for we live by faith and not by faith sight. It's the eyes of faith that see the real anchor and the certainty that is found in Jesus Christ. It was the eyes of faith that were able to see Jesus that day as those men went and asked Him, are you the one? And it was the eyes of faith that went back and reported to John. And it was the eyes of faith that let John see the sword coming toward him on the day that his head was chopped off and served on a silver platter and he was able to meet that moment with confidence while he was in the body because he knew that while he was in that body he was away and he wanted to be home with the Lord. And he faced that day in Matthew 14 with strength and courage because he saw by faith in Matthew 11. Jesus gives us that exact same possibility. We will keep seeing Jesus here in the Gospels, if we will keep seeing Jesus here in His church as He works, if we will not ignore the good God is doing in our lives by paying attention to all of the negative that Satan does in our lives, we will see by faith and not by sight. By sight, we see people walk into this water back here. And we see them lowered down in by a guy and raised up by a guy, and we say, well, what did that do? But by faith, Romans 6 says, we are buried with Christ. And there we also meet His resurrection. And when we are raised up out of that water, He says, we are raised to walk in a brand new life. See, when you start looking by the eyes of faith, God can even use a tub of water to change eternities. All you got to do is start seeing by faith. Trust Him.
follow Him. Believe in Him. Give your life to Him. And let Him start changing your eternity. If you have been trying to see by faith for a long time as a disciple, you may have moments like John the Baptist. You may be a Christian 30, 40 years. But you may feel like John the Baptist in that moment. He will meet you there. We will meet you there. If you want to pray with us and us to pray with you, we do that together. You can do that here. You can do that on a Tuesday. You know, whenever. That doesn't matter. See this family for what God has made it. A people who belong to God. Who trust God. And who want to lift you up in your faith too. If you want to put Christ on in baptism this morning, we always offer that opportunity. If you want us to pray with you, we offer you that opportunity. We do that as we stand and as we sing.